smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus Here, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we continue our series on Bible reading tools. Matt Waldron speaks to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 on the last things. Here's Matt. Let me tell you a quick story about this boy named Andrew, named in Gua- born in Guatemala. I don't know uh, much of the details of his early circumstances, except that when he was four months old, he was adopted by uh, Joe and Peggy, who were from the United States. And the other circumstance that's important is just after they adopted him, Guatemala changed their laws, banning adoption to the U.S., so uh, with that uh, kind of change, uh, long story short, the two governments uh, wouldn't let Joe and Peggy take Andrew back home to the US. Uh, according to his adoption, uh, Andrew was a citizen of the USA, but uh, one or both countries, I'm not exactly sure how they blamed each other for this, uh, didn't recognize that. Of course, that was very distressing for Joe and Peggy, and uh, Andrew, of course, didn't know what was going on. Well, uh, Joe and Peggy decided that Joe would move to Guatemala to take care of Andrew, and Peggy would work in the US to financially support their family. So, in a sense, uh, little Andrew had his parents uh, with him, looking after him, but in another sense, he didn't have both of them uh, with him, and he certainly couldn't go to his new home that he was entitled to. Uh, You'll be pleased to know the red tape eventually got sorted out, and Joe and Peggy took Andrew home when he was five. Well, in a similar way, uh, God has come into our world to adopt us as his children, Uh, but... uh, We still live in this broken world, this world of uh, us humans turning away from God. And we're waiting for the time when Jesus comes to actually take us to be with him forever. Uh, We live in this broken world, but we belong in God's new world. Uh, We live as citizens of God's new world while we still wait for him to come and take us to be with him forever. So today we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about the future. I'm going to try and uh, summarize that. Uh, I'm just going to call this the last things. Uh, this is, uh, the technical term is eschatology, if you care. Uh, and so again, I'll have a little diagram. I'll read a bunch of Bible passages to try and get across this this kind of summary. So the three things we're going to see, three big points are that Jesus started the future, Jesus will bring the future, and death is a foretaste of the future. So we've got our timeline running along here. And as you all know, uh, Jesus came to die, die and be raised to life again. Uh, And so uh, Jesus has come into history and made a difference to history. Particularly, Jesus took God's judgment on himself, uh, especially in his death, and he was raised to life again as 
a new creation, the beginning of the new creation. And having taken God's judgment and been raised to life again as the beginning of the new creation, he ascended to God's right hand. So I'm going to do an up arrow and write ascension. And so now Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Uh, he is uh, reigning. Uh, he's interceding for us. And he sends the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has come into history and has started the future early. There's this whole new type of history that has started, that Jesus has started. Jesus is the start of. So let me show you a couple of Bible passages that talk about these things. So John chapter 12, verses 27 to 33. Uh, this is as Jesus is uh, in his final time and he knows what's coming. And Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thunders, thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus saw himself as coming, uh, especially to die. And in him dying, uh, that was in some way going to be God's judgment on the world and at the same time Jesus was going to do that to draw people to himself. Uh, let's have a look at another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 6 and 17. If you're a quick Bible flipper please flip there if you want to just listen that's fine as well. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 6 and 17. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body we are away from the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So now that Jesus has come, for those of us who have turned to trust in him, this world is no longer our home. Our home is with Jesus. In fact, not only is Jesus the new creation, whoever's trusting in him, has their membership has been transferred. They are already part of the new creation even though they live in this one. So that's the first thing. Jesus has started the future. Secondly, Jesus will bring the future. So Jesus has uh, ascended, but he's going to come back. So I'm going to write return. One of the critical things about the return of Jesus is that we know it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. So I'm going to put that on the timeline as a question mark. So Jesus has, uh, if you like, gone up to heaven, but he's going to come back and bring heaven with him. Jesus has started the future and Jesus will bring the future. And so that means we uh, live in between these two big events. Oh, that's not a very good stick figure. There we go. So for example, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 26 says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 
20 to 26. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus has begun the new creation, but he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then he will return to finalize the judgment and to fulfill the new creation. So I'm going to put my judgment and new creation up again. Uh, and my other passage for this is Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Well, this, is a, uh, this passage includes some kind of metaphors, so it's a little hard to know the precise things we're supposed to take out of it, but a couple of things are clear. Uh, it's looking forward to, uh, to a time where the curse that humanity's sin has brought on the world will be taken away. There will no longer be any curse, and it will go on forever and ever. So uh, Jesus will return uh, to do judgment on all people who have ever lived and also to fulfill the new creation. Finally, uh, Jesus started uh, the future. Jesus will bring the future. Finally, death is a foretaste of the future. We not only live between these great events, uh, we die. Uh, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetimes, we'll die between these great events. And uh, what we experience in death will be a foretaste of what's coming when Jesus comes back. If we've turned to trust in Jesus, uh, if He's worked that in us by His Holy Spirit, then we'll go to be with Jesus, uh, being forgiven and experiencing uh, a foretaste of being with Him forever in the new creation. But if we have not trusted in Jesus for our forgiveness... If we've continued to go our own way, then in death we will experience the foretaste of punishment that we will experience forever as the punishment for our sins. So a couple of passages that talk about this. Firstly, Philippians 1. Oh, before I say that, the part of the diagram I mustn't forget is the way that uh, God saves and judges people day by day now as a foretaste of the final judgment and new creation was also the way God worked in the lives of individuals in the past before Jesus by the way of His promises. So a couple of passages. Philippians 
chapter 1, verses 20 to 26. Uh, here is Paul. Paul is talking about his circumstances. He's in prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen. So this is how he thinks about that in Philippians 1, verses 20 to 26. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So here Paul's thinking about, well, he might get executed, he might get set free, what's going to happen, he doesn't know. But either way, it's gonna, God is going to use it for good. And particularly if he's killed, he will go and be with Christ, which will be better by far than his experience of this life now. How can it be better by far? Well, because it's going to be a foretaste of what's coming in the new creation. We'll get to be with Jesus, consciously enjoying fellowship with him, still looking forward to Christ uh, fulfilling creation. Uh, well, that's the positive side. There's also the negative side, which Jesus talks about in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. This is a parable. So once again, there's metaphor involved. But the overall point, I think, is clear. Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Well, as I said, this story includes some metaphorical uh, elements because it's a parable. That's how parables work. And so therefore, it's a bit hard to know which parts are literal and which parts are just metaphorical. 
So some people find this a convenient excuse uh, to ignore all of it. We're not sure if that part's literal. Therefore, probably nothing happens after you die. So therefore, Jesus is wrong to warn us not to be selfish, arrogant, greedy jerks. Uh, there's this full kind of sense that's not spelt out, but I think you can't get away from the fact that it's Jesus telling this story, and he ends with, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. If the fact that you are going to die doesn't convince you that your life is not just going to go on forever with no change, nothing else will convince you. No matter what you believe happens after that, you cannot just go on thinking nothing's ever going to change. If nothing else, you're going to die. So don't act as if it doesn't matter how you treat other people. Don't act as if it doesn't matter whether you take responsibility for your part in our world and its mess. Don't act as if it doesn't matter how you treat God. No, the Bible says death is a foretaste of the future. And there, you know, you can disagree about some of the details if you want to be difficult. But don't pretend that you can deny the warning. Well, speaking of warning, I read uh, some uh, research recently. I was looking at, you know, how to grow as a person, how to help each other grow, all that kind of stuff. And I came across uh, a reference to some research that said... In general, we tend to be much more motivated to do things. We tend to be much more vo motivated by the possibility of things getting worse than the possibility of things getting better. If there's a risk of things going wrong, we're more likely to take action to try and prevent the wrong. Whereas there's a possibility of things being much better, that doesn't give us so much motivation to actually try and make it happen. It seems to me uh, the Bible's message about the future is overwhelmingly full of hope. Jesus has come and died to take God's judgment. He has been raised to life again as the first fruits of the new creation. He is currently reigning. He is interceding for us. He is sending the Spirit to work in us, to make the world new, to make this world to reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet, to make this world that one day he will come and fulfill. It is overwhelmingly positive. But there is a flip side to that. If we reject Jesus, if we reject God's reign, if we reject God's right to tell us what is right and what is wrong, if we reject Jesus' leadership, in loving God and loving each other, if we don't accept Jesus' forgiveness, then there is only eternal punishment for our sin left. It seems to me that at worst, the Bible is even-handed in laying that out. Uh, if we think the Bible is full of fear-mongering, I'm pretty sure the problem is with us just feeling those motivations more keenly than we feel the motivation to work for the possibility of things being better. And so I guess that's my practical question out of, out of this review, is how do you focus yourself on the good world that God is building? How do you focus yourself on being grateful for what Jesus has already done? How do you build your motivations out of God's promises? Because if you're like me, if you're not deliberate about being motivated by those positive things, 
you will naturally default to just being afraid of the negative thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great and certain hope of Jesus. Thank you that he uh, didn't just die and be raised to life again in order that the new creation would be a possibility, but that he actually is the new creation. And so when he comes back, uh, he will transform all things, transform all of us. Uh, Father, please help us to take the warning of the coming judgment seriously. But Father, please uh, fill our minds and hearts and lives with the wonderful hope of forgiveness and adoption and sanctification and love and belonging together and all these good things. Father, please help us to be uh, deliberate about uh, building our motivations on the gospel. Father, please help us to have wisdom in sharing the gospel with others in a way that is both encouraging but serious. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.